From the vistas of the Grand Tetons, this is Lost River Legends. Here we discuss Bigfoot, skinwalkers, UFOs, aliens, and other paranormal topics. We want you to join us in seeking that which is hidden and obscured from our view. and get settled in and comfortable as your hosts, James and Brett, enter into the realm of shadows. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Lost River Legends. This is episode one and we have a very exciting guest to start everything out. His name is Pete Travers and he has been a Hollywood visual effects supervisor for over 20 years. Um, He's been a producer and um, has contributed to some really exciting household name movies. He's also been a big part of the BFRO, helping Matt Moneymaker get his site off the ground and is now a partner with his Bigfoot reality um, project that he is working on. This will actually bring things into the 21st century with, with a smartphone app. Um, so without any further ado, here is Pete Travers. Thank you. Pete, welcome to the show. Um, we, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. Hi guys. Thanks for having me. Um, we'd like to, we'd like to have our listeners learn a little bit about your background, um, what kind of growing up and where that led you and, and how you ended up in, in the movie industry. Okay. Well, I, um, I, I grew up in, uh, New England, in specifically, uh, Massachusetts, uh, in Massachusetts where the pilgrims landed. Um, and, um, you know, I just grew up a normal town, um, and ended up, um, because I guess I was good at math and I was able to draw. Um, the, um, it was kind of a you know choice of what I was going to do, and uh, and this was around uh, late eighties, early nineties. Um, I just decided to go uh, to college at an engineering school, which kind of used, um, I guess you could say, both sides of the brain. I don't really believe in the sides of the brain thing, but. Um, and so I kind of fell into mechanical engineering, and I went to school at Worcester Polytech uh, in Worcester, Mass. Uh, got my degree, and um, there wasn't really the, the kind of the engineering uh, job market kind of fell out by, you know, by the time I got through college. And at the time, um, there was uh, actually Jurassic Park came out, so that would be around 1993. Um, and I looked at that and I, and I, you know, just kind of read as much as I could about what was happening with, uh, you know, how they were, um, creating these dinosaurs in the computer. And, you know, it was just a moment where, you know, and, and I, I had the good fortune of, um, being in the kind of the right place, the right time. And, and, and I had an opportunity to go pursue, cause I could tell as soon as I saw it, I was like, I want to do that. Uh, it, it felt like it was an artistic thing, but it also felt like it was very much a technology thing. And and so I ended up uh, driving across the country and um, settling uh, for an internship at a company called Wayfront, and um, which is a software development company that um, helped through the path of buyouts and whatnot, uh, Wayfront's um, was bought out by a company called Silicon Graphics. Silicon Graphics bought them, bought Alias. They merged together, and then they made the software called Maya, which, you know, over the course of years, by the by the time Maya was fully released and developed, I had already left the software development company and gotten into Hollywood doing visual effects. My first movie that I worked on was um, Crimson Tide, and then over the course of years and, you know, moving around from company to company, um, I ended up working at uh, Sony Pictures um, for about 20 years. 
I recently left, but uh, while I was there, uh, or you know, up until that point, I worked on a bunch of movies. I've done uh, Lord of the Rings. I did Harry Potter. I did Matrix. Uh, I've done Watchmen, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Captain America. Um, so I just had a good opportunity just to work on a bunch of these films and. And the way our industry works, like anything, you, you think that they're massive industries, but when you're actually on the inside, you realize that the industry is not that big, and nor is Hollywood. And um, and so, um, all during that time, as I was doing visual effects, and even you know, as I was very young, I was one of those people that I found out that turns out were very um, common out there, is that. Um, I had an immediate fascination when I was really young with Bigfoot. And, um, you know, I grew up with watching it on the $6 million man. Um, uh, I was, I saw Legend of Boggy Creek when I was young. The big movie that I saw uh, was uh, Sasquatch, The Legend of Bigfoot, the docudrama. Um, and I, you know, I could, I had that thing that I think a lot of people have, which is, not just a fascination with Bigfoot, but this kind of weird, um, kind of a primordial fear of it. Um, just like, a, but there was definitely an attraction there. It's like, why is this so scary? And, um, and then, so kind of halfway through my career, I guess, um, I ended up, um, during, it was really at the advent of the internet. Um, I ended up finding, um, Matt Moneymaker's site, uh, the BFRO.net. And so just while in the, in the middle of doing, I think at the time I was doing uh, uh, Star Trek um, uh, television stuff, I think it was Star Trek Voyager. And um, this was in the kind of the mid-90s. I, I reached out to Matt. He responded. And, and he kind of pinged me, like, what can you do? How can you help? And, I ended up really, at, the, at least in the beginning, just helping, um, just helping Matt with his website, just doing graphics and things like that. And again, this was really at the time of the advent of the internet, and we were just, you know, you know, back in the day, an animated GIF, just amazing. Uh, and uh, so I, I ended up just helping Matt just kind of beef up the website, making it look, uh, making it look prettier. Um, I ended up designing the DFRO's logo. Uh, and I've been friends with Matt for, um, well, you know, 20 years now at least. And, um, so, um, so with that, and, and, uh, and so while I was helping Matt do the graphic stuff, um, uh, I just was kind of, because I, you know, busy during the day, I was like, well, how could I help? And, and so I came up with the idea of the Bigfoot sketch project, um, which, um, for me, you know, looking at all of the the existing artwork out there and the existing photography, there was a wide range of looks to Bigfoot. And um, the kind of, I guess you could say, the kind of the engineering in me, the, the kind of the scientific method kind of came out of me and said, okay, if if there's a way to do this, if there's a way to... Um, see if we can kind of hone in or narrow down the the look of these creatures. How would we go about doing that? And and you know, I came up with the idea of doing it like um, uh, detectives does a police sketch, where you know we've got all these eyewitnesses, and in theory, if I am able to um, interview the artist or interview the, the eyewitness and, and, and get as much details as I can produce a sketch. And then the, the probably the most important part about the big sketch project is, is the iterative process. You know, for me, um, don't tell any of the eyewitnesses this, just kidding. Um, but it, getting notes, um, back, if, if I do an initial sketch and then they just, they basically say, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I saw. I don't think that's anywhere near as compelling or interesting. I, I really encourage the eyewitnesses to tell me what's not right about the sketch. And, I'm, you know, I, and I know that they're, 
they what inevitably comes up is they're worried that that I'm just going to have to be doing a bunch of these sketches and, and wasting my time. But I'm constantly trying to remind them. I'm like, look, I, you know, this is this is how this is, this is just the only way that we can do this. We need we need to extract from you truly what you saw as much as we possibly can. And so, the theory of all of this is um, if Bigfoot exists. And the the species, if there's a kind of let's say there's a singular singular species across North America, and they all look very similar. If I get enough credible eyewitnesses, then my sketches should look similar. And um, and so um, that was the process. And I, and I knew that I knew that not all of the witnesses that I was going to get were going to necessarily be credible, not in the way that. Um, I mean, at best, the whole project is it's uh, circumstantial evidence, maybe even one more derivative off of that. But um, you know, I just I I find that to me really just fascinating to see if there's a way that we can get closer to the what the actual Bigfoots look like, in particular their faces. Um, I so as I started this process, and I believe I started in probably around 1995, 1996, and I've done uh, close to 50, 50 or 60 eyewitness accounts, um, and they're all on the website now, which was has been now ported to um, the uh, a new website. It used to be on the Painted Cave. Um, linked to the BFRO, uh, but now it has switched over to a new website called Bigfoot Reality. So anybody out there that um, is looking for it, that's where it is. And of course, it's linked um, on the homepage uh, to the BFRO.net. So awesome! If you want to find it? It's not too hard. To, not too hard to find it. Yeah, and that's that's actually how um, we found you. Is kind of the the link outs that you had from the BFRO to over to um, your sketch, Sasketch. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that actually... Sasketch. That's just a, it's a goofy word, but it's the big sketch part. It's, it's clever. It's really clever. Um, and what's cool about it um, that really drew me in were the different faces. I think you have um, some different body types in there as well, and then you have... Um, you know, some composites of, of head, heads and bodies. So it's, it's really, it's fascinating in that there is quite a gambit of, of different characteristics that you've captured, but it's also interesting mm-hmm. that there are a lot of different um, encounters that, that match up to that, that probably you haven't heard yet. So um, that's, yeah. that's I mean, fascinating that's to why, me. You know, I, I'm hoping that I can get people interested in it. I would love to basically reinvigorate the, the Bigfoot Sketch Project. So, any listeners out there that uh, you know they have, they either had a, a, enough, a close up enough eyewitness account that they've seen the body or, in particular, the face of the Bigfoot, and um, and are willing to you know come forward and work with me, it's free, and this is all meant to be shared, um, with, with everybody. Um, and so, yeah, getting to your point about the variety, um, it, it, and of course, this is what inevitably happens is when I'm interviewing people, um, you can, in a way, kind of easily tell how credible people are. And, one of the things that, that I don't think can be um, uh, dismissed is that some of my most credible people, when I look at the sketches that are associated with those people, some of them look very different from each other. Uh, in particular, probably the biggest variable, I'd say, with uh, Bigfoot is the hair length. Um there's a I would as account of a person uh, I'll maybe just withhold the name but um, I, it was in Washington State I believe um, where this man was he was out um, hunting and he got to a location uh, that out in the woods that was um, 
and he got into the details of, of the, the, he just saw this Bigfoot in the middle of a patch of uh, skunk cabbage, which I'm not quite even sure what that is, but uh, he told the story uh, of how the thing kind of saw him, he saw it, it kind of puffed out its chest, basically to say, don't mess with me, and ran off really fast. And so this man went home, told his son, and his son um, said, you know, whatever, Dad. Um, and um, and which which is an important part about all this is that you you still have a lot of believers out there at Bigfoot, and you also have a lot of non-believers. And, and this is kind of how Bigfoot fits into our society. Um, and um, so he. Uh, this man was kind of feeling discouraged, like, you know, his son didn't believe him. And so I, I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was, let's say it was about a year later, he was out hunting and he had his son out with him and they were deeper into the woods and, and they just got to a clearing, kind of a uh, matted dirt clearing. And it was absolutely crisscrossed with uh, Bigfoot tracks. And, he talks about how his son, who was a non-believer at first, suddenly got really scared. And and it was like a moment, as, as this person, this eyewitness, was telling me on the, on the phone, basically saying, yeah, you believe me now. And, um, you know, for a lot of people out there, uh, it's vindication. I don't know if I can really, I don't know with the sketch project, I can really provide any vindication um, but I do think that there are certain eyewitnesses that, that uh, achieve a certain level of joy that they've actually got an image that they can associate with what they saw, because most of these big encounters are seconds at best, you know, a couple seconds. And, and it may always seem longer, but if you time it, it's like it could be like a five-second, you know, view of one of these, and then it's gone. Um, so, so, Pete, uh, this is Brett. How are you? Good. 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 Hey, I, I had to stop you. I, I, had, I had a thought that I wanted to ask you. So when, when you're, you said you've done about 40 or 50 sketches. Is that right? Yeah. So it, yeah. as you've gone through this process, um, you're really kind of living through proxy um, through these people that have witnessed a Bigfoot, seen a Bigfoot. Um how has that changed your perspective on this creature? Um, you know, you, you talk about you, you've seen Boggy Creek and all these different shows when you were younger and you kind of had a certain understanding of Bigfoot. How has that changed over time as you've understood uh, these encounters through the sketches? It's a very, it's a great question. Um, and it's a very simple answer. It's um the conversations that I've had with these eyewitnesses who have really had nothing to gain um, by doing a sketch session with me. There have been, I don't want to say a few, it's been more than a few. Um, it, it, it's been, it's been a, um, an experience for me that um, I can't, I can't quantify um it's it's intriguing. How do I if maybe that's the best word? Um, you know, I'm a because I'm an engineer, I guess. Uh, even though I do uh, visual effects movies, which is the land of make believe, but um, ultimately with this engineering process, I think that I think I think that you know you really kind of have to run it with a true scientific method. And and I'm looking at this even from a, almost like a criminal investigation with the police sketches, which is kind of along the same theme, is that if if somebody's going to sit there and be on the phone with me for an hour and tell me this story, and oftentimes when I get some of these eyewitnesses, they're telling me a story like they're describing a grocery list. It is so matter-of-fact. Um, everything about their story is so genuine. A lot of them even ask me, like, what did, what did they, they see? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I I've personally never seen Bigfoot, you know, so, but I, I just, as I'm gauging basically the eyewitness, I can't, I mean, you can't help but do that. Uh, we do that in any kind of conversation. It, it's, it's like, why is this person wasting their time and my time 
unless they really are curious and they really saw something. And I, that has definitely changed my perspective on this, especially with the kind of the flavor of anonymity to this whole thing, meaning I have kind of kept it very relatively quiet as far as these eyewitnesses. Some people don't care. Some people want their experiences to be shared. Uh, but generally speaking, most of these people are, you know, it's 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 just some, it's a brief, amazing moment in their life, and and that's it, it, in, a, in a way it's personal, and they're inviting me, in, and and I I very much appreciate that because I can't I can't I don't know where to put that if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sit in the Bigfoot is not real camp, um, I don't know how to I don't know how to acknowledge these people other than. There may be some people out there that really love to waste other people's time. <laughs> right. And well, there's people out there that are like that, but it, it just it doesn't add up. And I can tell you that it's the, the, the genuine nature of most of these eyewitnesses. Right. And I was just going to say that these these people, there's not very many people that are that have seen Bigfoot that actually sit down with someone that can sketch this out. You know, they might have some artistic skills themselves or someone in close to them and they might throw something together, but there probably isn't that many witnesses that come forward that actually want to capture this, this creature on paper. And the fact that you're willing to take your own personal time for free and you haven't seen Bigfoot, um, it, it gives a lot of credence to what you're doing, what kind of service you're providing to these individuals. Yeah, and it, it, um, you know, I, I, I'm, by no means am I a martyr. Uh, I, I, like, like I've been saying, it's like I've been fascinated with Bigfoot, and, and the, and I will let you know, just to kind of get a little insight into the world of visual effects, doing a, doing one of these Bigfoot sketches, let's call it a session, with an eyewitness, is is very similar to working with a director on a film. Uh, oftentimes, especially in my role, we start with nothing, you know, and we start, or we start with, uh, one line in a script, in a screenplay, you know, the, the, the old, the joke with, um, back when I worked on the Star Trek, um, television shows, they, you know, the one line in the script, the television script was the battle ensues. And then we had to derive from that, what that meant visually. You know, it's like how many ships are there, or what kind of how the camera working, and all that kind of stuff. And so that's just been the process for doing visual effects for movies for so long. It's like, especially when, especially when there isn't anything as far as concept art or um, uh, anything out there that you can draw on and start with. Oftentimes, and, and you know, most there's a good portion of time that we have concept art and visual effects, but oftentimes we're starting with. Um, we're starting with a blank piece of paper. I should say maybe a blank computer screen because um, we don't use paper anymore. But um, so it, it, there's a there was a discipline there in my day job, in particular that I, even though I'm in theory generating the art, or I've got some artists that are generating the art, and that's kind of the way it is now. It, it takes a village to do a movie nowadays. Oftentimes, I'll have close to. 500 to 1,000 people working for me, and I'm working for the director uh, on a movie, and um, it's just so many people that are involved, especially like these Marvel movies, which are just monstrosities. But um, um, so, but the point with all of this is there needs to be a discipline. You need to figure out a way to, like with the, with the director, extract from the director what they want. And oftentimes, most of the directors, they, you know, there's no way that any of them are really that good at CG, and then they can't express to you um, what they want in visual form. They can describe it, and so you inevitably have to get into this kind of iterative process of, well, this is something like this, or is it something like that? And it's, um, there's a film I worked on called uh, The Watchman, which uh, the director was uh, Zack Snyder, and he is... He actually is an amazing director. He was one of the, he was easily the most organized director I have ever worked with. He was just, he did all of his own storyboards and he had that whole movie mapped out. And it's an extremely underrated movie. Um, I think it just came out 
a few years before it. Um, you know, it probably should have, but um, I was in charge of designing Dr. Manhattan. And, uh, and of course, you know, I'd have to pull in all these different things. Billy Crudup was the actor that was uh, in the film. Um, and we had to kind of figure out a way to, to build a full digital version of Dr. Manhattan, which you know, there is no... There is no live-action Dr. Manhattan in the film. Every time you see him, he's fully digital. And how the process of going and designing um, him, it, it, there is there's a tremendous amount of discipline, and there's also there's an iterative process. You know, we've gone, we went down paths when we ended up showing Dr. Manhattan to the director, and he was like, eh, you know, like I'm, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Then I'd go back to the team, and we would do multiple iterations, and it's like we wedge out different variables of, how glowy does he need to be? How blue is he? What do his what do his eyes look like? Does he have hair? And you know, it was it was definitely. I mean, it was an iterative process, and it takes a lot of really talented people. But I can say that the Bigfoot Sketch Project is actually a it's, you know obviously the scale of it is a lot smaller, but it's the same process. It's um, it's being it's being in the service of the eyewitness, or in this case, the director. And um, but you know, it's in theory, it's my hand driving the pen, but I, my hand is being driven by somebody else. I, th- I think those are all really awesome points. Um, I, I think about how there's there's so many parallels there that you drew. I, I think about how just even you know between me and my wife, if we go to the store and see, you know, see this or that, I can describe something off the shelf. Exactly. You know, I could, I could almost sketch it out. Like it looked just like this and the package looked like this and it was this size. And she'd be like, I couldn't even tell you what color it was, what section of the store. And so you get probably that whole gambit of people. um, You know, this is, this is a pretty, important standout experience to them, but being able to visually describe and, and pull that out of them, that's got to be a skill. Yeah. Well, it, as you move through the process, it's the one thing, and, and I learned this in my day job is that you get a bunch of people in a room and you don't have any artwork, that group of people, um, will talk forever and never will reach a consensus on what they need to reach a consensus on. Imagery does the driving, and um, and it's not it's I'm not being critical of anybody, but I've I've been in too many meetings over my career where we're talking about stuff and we're talking about the theoretics, and it it's um, the theoretics are in, are kind of a waste of time. I, I'd much rather dive in and, and say. Let's, let, okay, react to this image. Okay, what's wrong with it? What's right with it? Okay, let's move to the next image. Let's move to the next image. And it's the fastest way to get to the finish line. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just think that, I think that's what the Bigfoot stuff, because there's all these theories out there as to what a Bigfoot is, is it a primate? Is it, um, is it, a, is, it a, um, is it an ancestor of us? Are we an ancestor of Bigfoot? What's the, you know, what kind of hair? What's the density, the physical characteristics of these things? How could they possibly be hiding amongst us this whole time and we don't have a body and all this stuff? So there's been so many people kind of investigating that kind of stuff. And all I'm just trying to do is help with my little part of what they, what they look like. And I, and I can't think of any other way if we're, if we're, if we don't have any footage yet. I mean, honestly, once we have definitive footage of Bigfoot, then the sketch project is done. <laughs> right. You know, and, uh, you know, that would be a great day. I, I won't be sad. Um, so, so again, please, please, anybody out there that, that, that if you have a really close sighting to Bigfoot, please get a hold of me. I would, I would be more than happy to sketch something out for you and, and work with you. That's, that's a great, uh, undertaking and a service that you're doing. Um, so yeah, please take Pete up on that. Um, and it's, it's an open source idea. You know, we're, we're willing to have Pete on here to, to share that. And then we want, 
you to be able to connect with Pete. So that's, that's a big deal. Um, that is all kind of channeling into this, um, BFR, um, Bigfoot reality. Um, and I, I'm liking some of the new stuff that I'm seeing up there. I think you've got some new renderings that I haven't, I haven't seen. So you've been busy, a busy guy. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the Bigfoot reality and the direction, um, it's going and kind of the, the end goal. I, I think you've said you de- described it as your pie in the sky idea, but I think you, you've, you've got something that has some teeth to it. Well, the, you know, Bigfoot reality is, is, um, it's another one of those kind of blend moments of kind of artistic things I'm interested in, but then also a technology that out there that, that maybe, maybe these two kind of seemingly different things could be kind of jammed together, much like the, the, the genesis of, of my interest in uh, visual back back in the day. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought about it, um, uh, you know, watching the, the enthusiasm um, for pe- that people had for Pokemon Go. Um, in my field with visual effects, virtual reality has um, is slowly kind of penetrating uh, the Hollywood industry, and Hollywood's just trying to figure out what to do with it. But um, I've always found augmented reality um, to be where the real future is, and I and I don't know what the world's going to be like 40 years from now, but I'm pretty damn sure that we will have whatever kind of tools and, uh, you know, or, or um, devices that will enhance our view of what we're seeing in the world. It won't replace. Replacing is virtual. Enhancing is augmented reality. And I think, um, you know, it was like, okay, well, if I were to design a, a, a fun app, a fun application for the phone, it would be basically Pokemon Go, but instead of being out um, out wherever you are outside, instead of being a Pokemon character, you'd see Bigfoot. And so um, the integration and the development of how that all works is, by the way, we're in development on it right now. Um, I've got um, uh, my partner's... Uh, um, longtime friend who is one of the most brilliant programmers I've ever met. Um, he's working on the platform right now. Um, and so the idea is that from an entertainment aspect, you could use your phone, download this app, and then you could, you know, scan the woods and maybe you could find a Bigfoot. So it's, it's like I said, that's, that's kind of the entertainment side, but then also to, um, I, you know, this the Bigfoot community, you know, the Bigfoot enthusiasts. I, I, I don't want, I don't, I didn't want to make something that that would seem like a toy to them. So there's also going to be this kind of functional, usable aspect of it. And one of the good conversations I was having with my extraordinary friend Phil Brock um, in the day is that um, what we're talking about doing is taking the Bigfoot sketch project completely converting it digital and then embedding it in the app. Much like, I'll just give an example, much like how people develop the look of their character in Fortnite, um, this application will let an eyewitness uh, to the use of CG and, and augmented reality, they'll be able to, if they actually saw Bigfoot, like an investigator or an eyewitness directly, could use the app to uh, build the version of the thoughts horse that they saw procedurally. And, and of course we would put a lot of work into the designs and the options of what they could put in, changing hair color, changing the size and shape of it. And this is something that, you know, in theory you'd be able to do this on your phone. So um, along with, along with this, that the Bigfoot reality could also be another aid or a tool uh, using GPS tracking location, tie it into the BFRO database, um, so that it could be a functional tool for field investigators. And that's the idea: is that maybe, and maybe if two apps not really quite sure, I'd like it to all be consolidated into one, a one-stop drop. Or if you know, if you want to know what Bigfoot looks like, you download this app and you use this, and you can get there. And then, of course, we would centralize all of that information. So. If if any investigator out there 
you know, is like either has an eyewitness, they could make it, you know, show this app on like an iPad or something like that, and they could kind of swipe through a bunch of different looks of a Bigfoot, find the right one. So it's like a, it's kind of like the Bigfoot sketch project on steroids. And that's kind of what we're working on right now. So if you go to bigfootreality.com, um, you'll you'll see different options um, when you first open up the website. And please jump on the website. Um, there's a, kind of a slideshow of different uh, looks for a close-up of a Bigfoot face. And pretty clearly, you'll get in there, and what you'll find out is that there's already a lot of diversity to these different rendering looks. And, you know, of course, I'm doing that on purpose so that um, I can see, so that I can show, again, with the Bigfoot sketch project, the same kind of thing, that there's a lot of diversity in looks and, and appearances of what people think Bigfoot looks like. I and mean, how ape-like does it look? How human does it look? What's its hair color? Its eye color? And so, like with any of that stuff, it's meant to be uh, provocative. It's meant, it's meant to encourage people to take a look and see, um, see if we can get a reaction out of people that possibly have seen it. And that's what, what would be, in theory, poured into the app. Well, this is, this is, um, it's amazing to think of that coming to, to fruition. I, I know you're pretty early in the, in the process, but it sounds like you, even since we talked last, um, that you've, you've made some great strides in defining things and, and, uh, doing some new renderings you were saying, um, the, what's really cool about it is that I like about it is that it's, it's kind of like a Swiss army knife of, apps or ideas, um, in that it, it allows, you know, basically someone who's had an experience to say, you know, they're the who, but then you have the what, where, when, um, and then you're bringing another layer to that of, of kind of the how, you know, how did this look in context? How, you know, was, did it look yeah. the, this way, in, you know, in, in you kind theory, of, if, if I can talk through it, yeah, I mean, you're bringing up a great point. And in theory, if we have an investigator or let's say we have an eyewitness, um, that eyewitness saw Bigfoot, they saw it at a certain location. Everybody pretty much has a phone with a camera on it nowadays. Um, well, there could be a thing easily be put into the app where somebody could um, film the exact location, the position that they were in. Um, record footage of what's at the edge of the woods, you know, near their house, if that's where they saw it. And then they could go through the character construction of the Bigfoot, and then we could integrate that Bigfoot into what they saw and record that as a movie and and, 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 and basically centralize that movie, that the end result, the composite of the Bigfoot that they think they saw in the, in the setting that they saw it in. And, of course, we record the GPS and location and whatnot. So, it, like you said, it, it could be a Swiss Army knife, and we could really, um, we could provide, I think, in my opinion, an incredible amount of enhancement to the investigation process. So, Pete, you know, something that's interesting about the uh, the Bigfoot reality is um, on our Facebook page, we actually shared um, your your website with this group, and it was. <laughs> It was pretty incredible because the images that are on there are are very striking. I mean, you got the you got the headshots of all these. You know, you got the the Jersey Devil, you got the Rougarou, the Yahoo. You got all these different types, and every single one of them is extremely striking. It really has a visual um, that I haven't ever seen before in in Bigfoot sketches, and, and it was incredible how many people commented I, th I think we had 60 or 70 comments um derived from this post because people were just completely blown away you know and of course some are like well the one that i saw was a little bit different it had a little bit different shaped head and i'm like well yeah because there's again there's there's all sorts of and types and sizes and shapes of of these bigfoot but what you're what you're saying is if these people see this this creature they can just basically swipe through and, and decide what this thing, you know, the closest resemblance of what they saw and insert that yeah. into a scene. And are, are those people able to share that 
um, like on social media? Are they able? That, to get... that, and we're we're in theory aware land, but that and, and I know I'm kind of talking through it. And of course, it's continuing to evolve every day. But sure, you know the. Um, but that would be the idea: is that um, in theory, if somebody saw Bigfoot, they were aware of this app. They'd be able to build their Bigfoot through the app. In a, you know, shoot the footage, the trees, the woods, wherever they're at. Integrate the Bigfoot moving or not moving, picking you know animation cycles or whatnot. This is all my day job stuff, and then composite it in and have a kind of let's say a probably a, you know it's my job to judge how photorealistic uh, you know the visual effects are in a movie, and uh, you know I'm, I'm right. basically an art critic in my day job, <laughs> um, but it, let's say it's a reasonable facsimile thereof. Of, of integration, and and of course they'd be able to share it, um, and 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 everybody would be able to access what everybody else thinks, and we probably have statistics of how many people thought that the eye colors were red, you know, and you know, um, you know, after people, the, the only there's, there's kind of one big catch to all of this, which is, and and this is something that I think can be avoided, but it's, um, there is a, and, and I'll tell you, there is a kind of a collective kind of group think out there that Bigfoot looks like the Patterson film. And, and in particular, I've had some eyewitnesses that want me to draw Bigfoot in the, what is it, frame 352? I forget what the number is. With the arms out to the sides, you know, right. looking at the Bigfoot from profile, and they like they're so concerned. People are some of these eyewitnesses are so concerned with me drawing it in that exact pose. I'm like, well, Bigfoot's not just frozen like that out in the woods, standing there with his arms like that, waiting for somebody to see him. And um, you know, so I think what I'm getting at is that there the influence, like for me, for the sketch project. The ones that I find incredibly compelling are the ones that are born out of purely out of somebody else's mind and not influenced by the Patterson film or previous sketches. I've shared the hypothetical sketches for the Bigfoot Sketch Project, you know, a long time ago. But in a way, sometimes I will say that sometimes they kind of tarnish the process. Um, meaning, you know, somebody just says, oh, yeah, it looks like picture 18. And I'm like, well, then I have nowhere to go with that. And and um, how do you how do we really all know that that person um, just liked picture 18, whether it looked like what they saw or if they saw something or not? Right. And so uh, uh, it's it. I, I would say there's no way that we're going to achieve purity with this. When we're talking, this is an extremely sloppy science, and I'm and I feel uncomfortable even using the word science. Um, <laughs> it's it's um, true though. I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's true, and that's that's the thing is like if if all of a sudden if, if let's say the end result is that this app looks great, all these eyewitnesses are all jumping on it and they're all making their big foot, and then we, the end result is that it's easily available that everybody can see what the the highest. Um, percentage of, of Bigfoot traits, you can see a, a, a physical CG version of Bigfoot on the app. Well, then there's nowhere to go. Um, and so we'll see. It would be great if we got to that point. Um, but I can just say that there is there are a few pitfalls in this, in this process. Um, because like I said, I mean, the primary goal for me is, is I want to know what Bigfoot looks like. And I think so many other people have that same nagging thing, you know, there's something, um, in a particular, it, I believe I have, I have my personal theories on Bigfoot, meaning I, I believe that, that there's an innate fear with Bigfoot in all of us. And there's a reason for that. And I, and I do believe that, uh, what's this stuff called, um, not epigenetics, it's mirror neurons, which is the equivalent for us uh, instinctual memories. And at some point in time, we were all hanging out in Africa. We had a lot more hair on our bodies. <laughs> and we were competing 
we were competing with other um, hairy bipedal hominids. Um, and um, I believe that the innate interest in Bigfoot stems from an old, old genetic memory that's in all of us of uh, basically our competitors on in the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I firmly believe. And there is no disputing the evidence of that, of these hairy hominids that were running around Africa or climbing trees and whatnot. So, you know, gigantic pentacles existed. We know it existed in, in you know, jungles of Vietnam and, and southeast China. Um, so, um, and at one point in time, whatever form we were in way back in the day, um, we were competing in some cases with these ones, and maybe they were bigger, stronger ones. So I actually believe that the boogeyman, um, the fear of the boogeyman is is what Bigfoot, is, is why there is such a sustained interest in Bigfoot. There, There's a common, there's certainly a common thread with almost every single encounter that people have. And there might be a few encounters where they felt like that the person wasn't threatened and, you know, the Bigfoot Mm might have smiled at them and, you know, strode off. There was nothing threatening, but I would say a large part of the encounters that people share, um, a huge amount of fear is involved with seeing these creatures and there's a display of dominance and, and power and, you know, territorialism, whatever you want to call it. So what do you think, personally, what do you think Bigfoot is? I mean, you, you've been studying this creature for a long time. You've done the sketch, uh, the sketching, the, now you're doing the Bigfoot reality. So you've had uh, a lot of exposure to this creature. And you said earlier on um, in the episode that you, you hadn't seen one individually yourself. But what, what do you think the Bigfoot is? I think it's... Um, if it's anything, I mean, I'm still not ruling out the idea that Bigfoot doesn't exist, you know, but, uh, and, and I think it, I think it, it, it could exist as a genetic memory. And what we're seeing is a lot of people seeing this or misinterpreting what they saw. But if Bigfoot exists, I think it is a hominid, um, that's, has survived in certain pockets on the planet um, that is probably pretty closely related to us. Um, and in some ways, I wouldn't, I would think that it's probably either an offshoot of an ancestor. Um, I, I, I'm not going to rule out that, that there's a possibility that um, Bigfoot could, he could be Bigfoot's ancestor. Um, if you think about it, you know, we, we lost most of our hair and then we moved all into these northern climates. Right. Um, we basically, we've kind of like canceled out or disrupted the evolutionary process. In theory, there should be a lot more hair on us than, than there is now considering where we live, especially in a biologist's clothes. So, um, but if humans were to evolve... Um, and, you know, you'd strip all the technology away, uh, and, and humans decided to live, uh, in the, you know, the, the colder climates, then hair would start to grow all over us. And maybe, maybe we would become stronger. Um, maybe we became bigger, you know, humans are, humans are growing right now. As we know, it's like in the past hundred years, the average height of the humans has grown considerably. So, and then evolution is still going on. But like I said, we've kind of manipulated or distorted it. But so, you know, there's a there's a possibility that Bigfoot is the next generation human, and it is made for the temperate climate. Um, I, I don't think that's probably what it is. I think, if anything, I think it's um, I think it's you know, quite possibly that it's some form of an ape. There's another interesting thing that's happened um, recently. I don't know exactly the day, but there's a cave in Siberia where they've discovered this whole new kind of offshoot of humans called the Denisovians. And it was in this 
cave where they found this stuff. I think it's like they're kind of pinky and they managed to extract all this stuff. What they found is that it's it's not Neanderthal and it's not human. It's a it's Homo sapien. It's a different offshoot. And the end result of this is it's kind of scrambled the whole process of of uh, who you know who was when, so to speak. You know when you know it's like. To look at to think that the evolutionary process is like okay, well, there was this species and this one evolved into this one and this one evolved into this one, and it's 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 a nonlinear um, process. This is what a lot of evolutionary scientists are figuring out right now. Is that it's of course it's really sloppy and and there's a lot of regression. Um, and um, so the Denisovians is basically kind of introduced. And one of the things that the scientists have discovered is that the Denisovians, the Neanderthals, and Homo sapiens, Homo sapiens, were all existing around in this area, in Siberia, at the same exact time. So, um, you know, it, it it kind of jumbles everything. But I think it, it, what it does is it, it, it gives a more accurate representation of what's happening that's out there. So that's what I think. I think that, I, I, you know, and, and actually, I don't know if you guys have heard, but it's like, you know, we, we always talk about why there's no Neanderthals on the planet anymore, and they've eventually come to the conclusion that, yeah, there are Neanderthals on the planet, that we have, we have the genetic code in us, and some people have more of it than others, um, depending on how culture works in Europe. And, and so um, we, didn't, we didn't kill off the Neanderthal, we bred with them. And that's why we're basically a cocktail of, you know, previous species. So to answer your question, I have no idea. You know, I mean, I, I have no idea, and, and but it could be one of many things. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that's out there is, um, you know, we, we don't have a, a physical specimen uh, that, that the collective public knows about. Anyway, uh, that we can study and we can really understand exactly what this thing is, because who's to say that every single Bigfoot out there has the same genetic makeup? Um, you know, the, the, depending on what part there of the could be glo- multiple species. Exactly. The, I would, I'll tell you right now that the, the, the Bigfoot Sketch Project, if if we were to take it as as law, then you would, if you had to assume. And, I, and if I were to reveal exactly the, the kind of the credibility order of all the eyewitnesses, you would be forced to conclude that there's got to be multiple species. Right. Yeah, there, there's, there has to be something or going on. Characteristics that change radically depending on the season, which I would find unlikely. Right. I would, it, I would find it unlikely that a Bigfoot that has... You know, two, three-inch long hair in the summer and then um, six-inch hair in the winter. Exactly. I just don't think that's likely. Yeah. And and there's probably not very many things in the animal kingdom that that can change their body that quickly, depending on the season, the climate, whatnot. There's like a few things like an ermine or mink, whatever. I think the same animal I can't remember. But, but, you know, they can go from a brown hair to white hair because of the winter and there's like a few things that can change their hair color and of course there's a lot of you know things like chameleons and cuttlefish that can do massive transformations to their body shape right. but camouflage but um something tells me that if we ever discover uh, a white-haired bigfoot in northern canada and we discover a black-haired bigfoot in appalachia we would, if we had that chance, and we actually were able to do genetic studies on it, we'll probably find that they're different species. I, I think, uh, yeah, just bringing bringing that up, it, it it seems like it's like the more we the more we think we know, the less we know. But there's also we're kind of in the golden age of being able to share those those experiences. There's so many episodes of so many different shows. There's so many books. And it's it's a safe mm-hmm. time for people to come out and share their experiences, and the overlap yeah. that we see, you know, the, it's like a big Venn diagram, and we have a bunch of overlapping areas where these commonalities come together and give us kind of a clear picture. And what your work is doing 
is help helping some of that bubble up and you have other people doing some other things as far as eyewitness accounts as far as um kind of extracting extracting those and getting descriptions um i think i heard a description the other day and the guy said you know caesar from planet of the apes on the new newer planet of the apes it looked just like that a little bit you know it was a female but the nose was different you know the nose was more human you know and that mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit of a, a schema but it helps kind of jump start like i could picture that in my head as he described that and I'd be happy, and I'm, I'm hoping that someday that person can rifle through, um, uh, you know, through go through the Bigfoot Reality app and be able to, to actually take the nose that they want, take the body and the face that they want, and merge them together. Yep. And That's... then then they can express that this is exactly what they saw, and then that would be the hope. So, Pete, is there is there a timeline that we can inform our audience about as to when you where you're hoping to get this up and running all the way to where people can actually go to the uh, app store or whatever? They're I, I, I wish <laughs> I wish it's you know it, it well like art art is never finished it's only abandoned so you're right um, you know we're gonna we're gonna try to put together a prototype here um, as quickly as we possibly can and then you know we'll get into alpha and beta. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have a functional app in a year, but, um, I, I do understand that it's, it's just kind of a, no pun intended. This is a monstrous undertaking. <laughs> um, so, um, it's hard to tell, but, um, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see. And hopefully maybe we can start it in, in little bits and then increase as we go. Sure. Sure. It may be that it may be that just the enhanced version of the Bigfoot Sketch Project is phase one, um, where this just becomes a tool for people to um, kind of do the equivalent of skinning in video games nowadays, like Fortnite. I think it's called skinning. I don't really play Fortnite, but I know there's a lot of people that do. Um, uh, so that would be the idea that people could do character construction uh, for a Bigfoot. And you know, get into some really good details, and, and maybe that's what we start with. So, yeah, I think uh, I think what it shows is that um, you you know, in, in any pro- process like um, that you're in the middle of, you can't you can't make guarantees. I mean, for instance, this podcast we're starting <laughs> off with Bigfoot stuff, but we might quickly go into some other interesting areas because um, there's there's a lot of different areas that interest us so um you know and it's also it's your it's your pet you know it's your it's your proprietary um stuff it's how you spend your time um and you sometimes get some time to do some other projects um we we noticed that you've written a book a novel called uh no Re- no return and we'd like you to share about that you don't mind well that i wrote um in the uh in the 90s um actually 90s and early 2000s yachts um and that was actually born out of it we were kind of talking about it earlier it was kind of what uh, it's a fictional novel it takes place in central idaho in in the uh, frank church river of no return wilderness so that's where the book gets its title from um, and it's this idea of the, the basic premise is what would you do if Bigfoot was your alibi? And the world that we live in today, you know, we can talk about Bigfoot where actually it's a lot more comfortable out there to talk about Bigfoot. You know, 20, 30 years ago, people might have been like, you know, hey, you're, this guy's not playing with a full deck. But, um, you know, nowadays I think people are getting more and more comfortable about it. But the premise would be, if you are actually into some kind of criminal investigation or there was a criminal investigation against you, and the reason why you're in that investigation is because you had an encounter, a physical encounter with a Bigfoot, what would you tell the cops? And that's the premise of the book. And that's the trap that the main character in the book gets caught up in. And uh, he struggles with that. And it, and it leads basically to... Um, trying to track down this Bigfoot that it, that he had an encounter with, and um, 
So um, one of the things that is a disappointment with the book, and I, and in my opinion, the people that have, most of the people that have read it really like it, um, uh, is is that uh, and it's available on the store, and it's also available on Amazon. Um, is that um, the main discipline, and this again, this is my day job, dealing with movies, is that the actions of the characters, the main characters in the story, have to be believable. Every step of the way when writing that novel was, what would I do if I was caught up in this situation? Or what would I try to do? And or what would I be paralyzed in not doing? And all of those factors, every step of the way, um, and, and th- that to me, by the way, just a little side thing, that's the key to a successful movie. I can tell you that throughout Hollywood, all these movies that we love and all these movies that we don't love, it usually comes down to the, the believability of the actions of the, of the characters in the story. Um, and so, I don't know, I, 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 I didn't write War and Peace. I don't, I don't think it's the greatest novel of all time, but, but at least it was a... With the with the, the framework of of what would you do if Bigfoot was your alibi, I think we try to we maintain enough discipline here that that I think it makes for an interesting story. And like I said, you go through every movie that you go through every movie that everybody loves. Everybody loves Jaws. Everybody loves Star Wars, um, Godfather, and you know, not many great movies come out nowadays. Unfortunately, I wish I did work on some of those films. But when you, there's been so much examination of all of these films, like Jaws, for example. Jaws is one of the most perfect movies out there, even though the visual effects for the shark didn't look that good. The characters were so rock solid that every step of the way, you, I mean, you the, that movie just had credibility from from the opening seconds, and it maintained that credibility throughout the entire movie to the point where. You can watch that movie again and again and again, and you feel like you're you have a kind of a window into this absolutely believable world that you would almost you would consider it that it must have already it must have happened, and um, that's kind of the key to storytelling, in my opinion. That that sounds awesome. I look forward to getting my hands on on that book, and we will. Um, in our show notes, we'll link people up to, to everything that Pete's talked about, um, his, his personal work, um, his per- personal project, and this book as well. Um, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with us. Um, and this time, I hope we can say we got it in the can. We'll definitely <laughs> alert you when, when, it's, when it's live. Well, thanks for, by the way, and, I, and I'll say this too, thanks for letting me plug my project, the book, and et cetera. It's, um, you know, I mean, ultimately, I, I really would not consider this to be by any means, you know, selfless adventures. I mean, this is all stuff that I'd be interested in anyways, and, and you know, like writing the book and things like that. It, it's, all, it's all stuff I'd be doing anyways, so I do appreciate the opportunity to plug you know, my hobbies <laughs> on, uh, on your platform. <laughs> absolutely. And, and we're, we're super glad that you came on. Uh, been a great guest. It's been awesome to hear everything that you've talked about. So just before we, uh, we sign off, are we, are you, you're still actively doing the Bigfoot sketch project in conjunction with Bigfoot reality. So if we do have people that are interested in contacting Please. you yeah. for sketches, yeah. Send them your way. Yeah, the and, and submission yours... form. Yeah, the yeah, please do. The submission form is online, uh, or they could just send me an email. My email is available on Bigfoot Reality website. Um, if you don't want to fill out the submission form, get a hold of me, um, and we can do anything. You know, we could. You know, we could do a phone interview. I'm just I'm looking for people that have seen it and have a distinct idea in their head of what they think it looks like and. You know, please do because I, I, I can tell you that I don't know when this whole thing is supposed to stop. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's like once I do a hundred sessions, then we're done. I have no idea. I mean, it could, it could go on forever. Um, but I do know right now I don't have enough of them. 
they need to do more of them. And, and admittedly, it's been kind of dormant for years. So I'm really trying to reinvigorate the sketch project. Well, um, we really appreciate uh, you being able to, to share that, and we appreciate your time. We've just kind of been geeking out a, real, a little bit here, some of those <laughs> movie mentions, and uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we will let you get on with your night, and thanks so much for joining us. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you very much for having me. All right. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Pete. All right. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up our show tonight. We're excited that Pete was able to come on, and we hope that we have him on in the future. If you want to find out more about Pete and some of the work that he's doing, you can visit the show notes on Lost River Legends under this episode and find out all the information that you need uh, to reach out to Pete, especially if you've had an encounter. Um, he's willing to do a sketch with you, and uh, he's, he's encouraging everyone that you know uh, that's comfortable with it to reach out to him, and he's, he's willing to do that for you. Also, you don't want to miss our upcoming show. Um, it's going to be episode number two. We have our special guest on, Bill Sheehan. Bill um, comes with uh, comes from us from New York. He was recently on Coast to Coast, and he was recently on Sasquatch Chronicles. He has some of the most amazing books out there about Bigfoot encounters. It's Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, and it's volume one through six. Bill's going to be on with us next week, and he's going to share with us some of his encounters that he has documented in his books. And if you've listen to some of the encounters that he has collected. You don't want to miss these. He's going to share some new encounters and share with us uh, some of the work that he's done. And we're excited for him to come on. And uh, without any further um, delay, we'd like to end the podcast tonight and we will see you again.